Thanks for listening to the podcast of Hope Church in East Hampton, Connecticut. Our mission is to love God, love people, and serve the world. To find out more about Hope Church, be sure to check out our website at cthope.com. que me quiere al igual que mi padre. So we are going right now to visit with two boys that we sponsored, Luis for six years and Francisco for 12 years. They are brothers and we're so excited to see them. This is like a dream come true for us. I was diagnosed with ALS in 2013. This has a very special meaning because it's something we never thought we'd ever be able to do together. overjoyed. I feel like my joy is complete. We got to meet our boys face to face. They were just pictures from what we knew and it was like a two-dimensional to three-dimensional. All of a sudden they were there. It was amazing. I, I am so full of joy. I can't even explain it. Today was amazing. Our joy in watching what we've done through sponsorship and see the love and the joy on the boys' faces. I'm a sponsor because I love children and I love World Vision. I love how World Vision puts the child first and cares about the child. I just love that World Vision does this all in the name of Christ and it helps us live out our faith. The World Vision workers here in the field are the hands and feet of Jesus Christ and extensions of our love for them. Faith means everything in sponsorship. It's a way we can live out our faith. Fue uno de mis mejores días de mi vida. Tener un patrocinador es una bendición de Dios. I will sponsor for the rest of my life. memories. Yeah, that video gets me every time. It's really hard to believe that 10 years ago, we gave up on the dream of ever being able to visit our sponsored children together. But God had other plans for our lives. So Stu is going to be at the table in the back. Um, we have some picture folders from that look like this. Um, things have changed since we last got to share World Vision. Thanks to COVID, we fell off the, uh, you know, the circuit. Um, there's now a QR code, very easy to share. We got uh, folders, we requested folders from Rovision from Bangladesh, um, place where my heart is at. Um, also from Kenya, um, the Turkana region. The Bangladesh folders are from the um, slum areas outside of Dhaka in 
that I got to visit them. Just amazing to see the work of World Vision there. Um, and also, um, Kenya, uh, oh, and we included the Dominican Republic. So if you sponsor a child from there, and it's kind of in our hemisphere, so if you ever are able to get a, a plan of visit, World Vision will take care of you. You may not get a video, but you will get treated beautifully because they, when you go out into the field, they just love to share the work that World Vision is, and God is doing through World Vision in their communities. So it's, it's quite amazing. Um, I know that some of you here are already child sponsors because, oh, as Tom said, it must have been 15, 16, 17 years ago when we became child ambassadors. We were at the old building. You were um, the East Hampton Bible Church then, and we were new child ambassadors, and we got these five picture folders, and World Vision says, get these kids sponsored. We're like, oh, we don't even know what to do. So we talked to Pastor Roger at that time, and he said, sure. And we spoke for like five minutes, talked a little bit about World Vision and sponsorship, and before we knew it, at the end of the service, those five were just snatched up like that, just gone. And thankfully, coming back here, um, we um, spoke about the refugee crisis um, back in some day, and um, Tom was so, Pastor Tom was so good about letting us come and speak, and thankfully, through your sponsorship of children, I, we, we were honored to become what child ambassador status of giant slayers because through our sharing, 200, over 250 children have found sponsors. Um, and we thank you for your part in that. It's amazing. And it's very cool coming home to Hope Church. I cannot tell you, the first person I saw was Leanne. Leanne and my daughters, you know, were teens together. And I was sitting out in the lobby just watching beautiful teen um, women thinking back to when my girls were here. And um, Tom and Sarah were their youth leaders. And people like Nate poured into them and, of course, the Brant. And it was just a wonderful time for them to make good Christian relationships, and even though my husband and I were youth leaders, this is a note to parents, okay, especially young parents, you could be their, your child's um, Sunday school teacher, you could be in children's church, you could do all of that with your children, but when you get, they get into high school, step back, step back, find those people, those good people, I remember you, Abby, my daughter Abby will tell you, she said, you know, I don't know what to do about this situation, and I'd tell her, well, Abby, I think maybe might want to consider that, you know. I don't know, I'm going to talk to Tom. So then she'd come back and say, you know what Tom said? Tell me what Tom said. <laughs> well, it sounds familiar. I, you know, I wish I thought of that. That was so good. <laughs> but that's why it's so important. It's so important to have other adults that love them, that care about them, and we're, we're blessed to have that. And so having our first child ambassador presentation here at Hope Church over... 15 years ago, and now coming back and launching a ministry that God put on our heart called Serving Through the Storm. You're more than family to us, guys. You're just our partners, and we just thank you, thank you for that. So Stu will be at the back. You'll also see Swanson. She's our little child ambassador. Um, she has a vest on today because she's a service dog. It's a new vest, and it says, do not pet, ignore that. <laughs> she loves to be loved on, so please pet. Um, that's only for when we're out in the store. You're family, okay? You're totally family for us. And um, um, it's a new vest. She's a little uncomfortable in it. And if she's anything like her mom, she feels fat in it. So tell her how pretty she looks today. 
Uh, videographers like headshots preferred, just saying. Okay, so enough of that. Let's go to God in prayer. Father, your word's not mine. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. I know, I know how to pray longer, no judgment. Um, but hey, when the dinner table's set and the food is put down and it's hot and everybody's hungry, I don't ask my husband to pray. I'm the one that prays. Let's eat. So I hope you're hungry today, and there's a word that'll help that. So lately I've been binge-watching, right, Netflix and chill. I love it. And I like those little short, like, series, limited series, 45 minutes. I could go grab a, something, snack, something, cup of coffee, come back, another 45 minutes. But occasionally I do love to watch a good movie. And there's one movie that I really love because it's absolutely hysterical. But the first time I watched it, it gave me so much anxiety because it just kept getting worse and worse. I know it's supposed to be funny, but so who's ever seen Meet the Parents? <laughs> I think you know what I'm talking about. If you haven't, you should, but I can tell by the laughter many of you did. Let me give you the cliff note version, and I'll try not to spoil the ending. So the main character, played by Ben Stiller, I mean, that alone tells you it's going to be funny, his name is Greg Fokker. So that alone gives you an idea how cringeworthy it is. He goes to meet his future in-laws, and it just goes from bad to bad or from worse to worse. And no matter what he does to try to redeem himself, he goes from one terrible situation to the other. So his father-in-law is played by Robert De Niro, and he cuts him absolutely no slack. Spoiler alert, it does end well. And even through all those trials, he gets the girl and wins over his father-in-law, Jack Burns. So one of my favorite characters in the Bible has a very similar movie plot. In fact, a couple movies were made about him. Uh, I think Disney even did one, and, you know, there was a musical about this guy. His name is Joseph. So as not to cause any anxiety triggers here, I'm going to the end of the story. If you don't know the story of Joseph, I encourage you to read it. You can find it in Genesis 37 through 50. But that said, let me take you to the last scene. So Joseph's father, Jacob, has just died. Joseph's and his brothers went to bury him, and then they came back home. But Joseph's brothers were worried. By all accounts, they should be. They were responsible for Jacob, having had his early years ripped away from his family, they lied to their father. They took his beautiful coat off, dipped it in blood, and told their father that an animal killed him. And you talk about the Murdochs being crazy. That's, that's insane. Cruel. Then they sold him to a slave where he was incarcerated for a while. Now, certainly, any normal human being would be seeking revenge. And his brothers knew about that revenge. So I'm sure they suspected that Joseph would do just the same if he were in their position or if they were in his position. So they did what they always knew to do. They lied. As my father used to say, once a skunk, always a skunk. Only he said it in Italian, which made it a lot funnier. So they sent him a message, because, yo, Joseph, come over here, Joe. So we talked to dad before he died, and dad said that you have to forgive us and be nice to us, okay? I mean, that's what dad said, so we're just telling you that. 
well, the book tells, the version, the Bible, tells us at that time that Joseph went off and cried. And it's not the first time he shed tears for his brothers. He knew for sure it was a lie. I mean, after all, think about it. If Jacob was going to say anything to anyone about any of this, he would have told his favorite. But he didn't have to. Because the father knew the son's heart. His brother's not so much. After all the kindness and mercy that Joseph showed them, they still didn't get their brother. So they were afraid. And they threw themselves at Joseph's feet and they said, we'll do whatever you want us to do. You know, whatever. We'll get your groceries. We'll wash your chariot. We'll empty the trash. We are your slaves. But this is what Joseph told us. And this is how we know that the story ends well. Don't be afraid, he said. I'm not God. Don't you see? You planned evil against me. But God used those same plans for good, as you see all around me right now, life for many people. That's in Genesis 50, 20. Can you relate to Joseph? Have there been times in your life when you think it just can't get any worse? And then it does. Now, I don't dare put myself on par with Joseph. But I'm so thankful that God provided us, in his word, biblical examples of men and women of faith to help us walk through our trials. I'm going to bring you back to the morning of June 26, 2013, when my husband Stuart got out of bed. And while sitting on the edge of his bed, he put his head in his hands and he said to me, I feel like I've been just handed a death sentence. He wasn't being overdramatic. The day before, we went to a follow-up visit with the head of neurology at Mass General Hospital. In nearly six months of tests, we discovered and we received the diagnosis we dreaded, ALS. You may know it as Lou Gehrig's disease. You remember, might remember the ice bucket challenge, which took over social media and raised lots of money for research and quality of life projects. But we knew it as a disease that takes away your mobility, your voice, and eventually your life. We anticipated and made plans that he would be gone in two to five years. What do we do? We were in a whirlwind. We cried. We grieved. We prayed. We prayed for healing above all else, but for strength and wisdom. We had some huge decisions to make as to how we were going to love our life, now realizing that our time as a couple could be shorter than planned. See, all through our lives as a couple, it was centered around ministry. Serving God in lay ministry was a core value for us. We started in youth ministry even before we were married. Stu had just become a Christian. He grew up Jewish. I knew Jesus as a little girl, having been brought up in a Christian home and witnessed by parents in lay ministry for years. And then we saw the need in our church to pour into the lives of a group of teens. So at this point, we were brought back to the time 
when we received this, still, this diagnosis. We were still in youth ministry. So we came back after, after taking time off when our girls were here, and we were serving in a church in Bristol. We were also at that time on the church board, on the missions team, VBS, Sunday school, worship team, and so on. But God put in our hearts to let go of stuff. Not that there's anything wrong with any of those ministries. Nothing. God had just different plans for us. So we felt led to put our heart and soul into the child ambassador ministry, which we had put aside for a few years. We really felt that God would use us to build the kingdom. And since our time was short, we really wanted to do that kingdom work through World Vision. So in the meantime, Stu started using a cane. He was still going to work. He eventually went to a walker because that's the only way they would give him a service dog. A little safer that way. But Swanson has been such a blessing in our lives. So God again provided presentations in churches. We got to share about poverty and injustice all around the world. Kids were getting sponsors big time. Stu's voice was getting a little weaker, so I took on the bigger portion of the talking, and now I'm doing all the talking. Sorry about that, y'all. But we wanted to get you out earlier because he's a little slower in speech. And then all of a sudden, I started coughing my way through presentations. And many times, we just had to pray that the Lord would literally give us a voice to share the message, and he always did. I'd stop coughing for that time, and then afterwards, just coughing. Well, I don't know. I thought I had stress-induced asthma. And then I received the diagnosis of stage 3 Hodgkin's lymphoma. And we went from the pit to the land of Egypt. And much to Swanson's dismay at my initial doctor's appointment, where I was the patient on the table and Stu was sitting with her in the chair, I mean, her head was flipping back and forth so fast, like, what is wrong with this picture? She knew something wasn't right, because now I became the patient, and he was the caregiver. And we had so many questions. Who would take care of Stu? Who would take care of me? Our daughters were both in New York at the time, and honestly, you know this, parents, nobody wants to be a burden on their kids, for sure. Well, after almost a year of treatments, I was cancer-free. Praise God. So crazy enough, the progression of Stu's symptoms had pretty much stabilized. You know, the doctors at Mass General began to shift their diagnosis from ALS to PLS, which is a similar motor neuron disease, but slower moving and non-life threatening. So at that time, we had heard of a book written by a pastor and his wife called One Month to Live. 30 Days to a No Regrets Life. And so we already experienced that, right? We cleaned up our, our stuff and made a focus, but now we started to make a bucket list. So on our bucket list were three, were th two things that we previously thought were impossible. One was visiting one of our sponsored children, and the other was to build a house in Narragansett, Rhode Island, on the land we bought our first year of marriage so that we could retire by the shore. I'm a beach lover. All the answers are at the beach, right? If not, they should be. So we took those two things out of the realm of human possibility. But God, I'll repeat that, 
but God had other plans. And I love how Stephen Furtick, pastor of Elevation Church, says, but God are the two most important words in the Bible. So Stu started into delving into different adaptive sports. He was always an athletic person. He was a tennis star in high school. We still have his Letterman sweater somewhere thrown away. We even competed in roller figure skating and won a national medal. Ooh, look at us. And after trying different things, we stumbled upon something called hand cycling. And before we knew it, he did his first race. Four months later, did his first half marathon and now completed four full marathons, including New York City twice. <laughs> but God, but God. So things were going great. I took up CrossFit, of all things, and accomplished stuff I never thought I could do. And God, in his kindness, allowed me to see firsthand the work of World Vision in Bangladesh through a Lifetime Achievement Award. And Stu and I were able to visit not just one, but two of our sponsored children in the Dominican Republic, as you saw. And World Vision has used our story in so many ways to promote sponsorship. You might have gotten a card with our picture on it holding our photo of our sponsored child, maybe a video when your community graduated, an email. That was us. They came to our house. Crazy. And how kind it was that God allowed our story to be used that way. And he allowed me to share our story. I shared with the World Vision Bangladesh staff at their chapel service. I shared at a child ambassador conference. And I got to share at a chapel service at World Vision headquarters with then President Richard Stern sitting right in the front row. I was intimidating because he's a really good speaker. So two things were said to me that day. One was by Richard Stearns himself. He said in that booming voice, if you've ever heard him speak, I am really impressed how you were able to continue to serve the Lord in spite of all your health trials. Well, after a moment of reflection, I said, you know, it's really the other way around. Serving the Lord is what got us through those health trials. It gave us a focus outside of ourselves. A little later, the staff took us out to lunch, and one of the World Vision staff members who has done so many countless workshops for us as child ambassadors on storytelling said to me, you're such a great storyteller. I was like, what? What do you mean? I mean, I'm just sharing my story. He said, yeah, that's, that's right. He said, when you got up there to speak, I elbowed my buddy and said, pay attention. Okay, that was a big compliment coming from him. He said, somehow I feel that you're going to use your story to go to churches and share his message. Well, I didn't know what to do with that, but I just prayed on it. So on the flight home from Seattle, I was by myself because Stuart was home. I had many hours to pray because it's a long flight. And I asked the Lord, what am I supposed to do with this information? What do you want me to do? And then it came to me. Four words, serving through the storm. A ministry that would help others through the sharing of our story. I didn't even know what that meant. I didn't even know what any of that involved. But I told Stuart when we came home, and he was in strong agreement with that. Well, meanwhile, back to Joseph. Don't forget, we didn't forget about our guy. 
He was now in Potiphar's house. Potiphar was a pretty big deal in Egypt. And Potiphar became a really big fan of Joseph, putting him in charge of a lot of things. So life in Egypt wasn't so bad for Joseph at this time. Not only did Potiphar like him, so did his wife. Perhaps a little bit too much. She accused him of assaulting her, and Joseph, who once wore a fancy coat, was now sporting an orange jumpsuit. Now, I'm sure at this time, Joseph was wondering, how in the world did this happen? Why me? I was serving the Lord. I was respected. Wasn't I living a life pleasing to God? Seriously, why me? And that's pretty much how I felt after being four years of cancer-free, almost going to be pronounced cured because lymphoma is actually curable, past that remission period, when my routine CAT scan, it was discovered, lymphoma came back. Impossible. I mean, first of all, I felt like, I really felt fantastic, I'm telling you. I was in the peak of my health. Besides that, I did all the right things. I kept serving the Lord. I gave him the glory. Why? This was actually one of the first times through all of our story that I asked why. I was broken. But God... God wasn't finished with our story, just like he wasn't finished with Joseph. What did Joseph do when he was in prison? Kept serving. And he wasn't in for just, you know, 60 days in, like the reality show. He was there for more than two years. And that would be some reality show. Now, he was put in charge of running the place, so respected, served his fellow inmates as a life coach. He's actually an interpreter of dreams. So for me, I was put in touch with a clinical trial at Memorial Sloan Kettering in New York. And God showed himself in so many ways. I mean, I can't even, this would be a very long story if I told you. But even the littlest thing, like a cab waiting, sitting there just waiting for us to take us back to the train station in time. The immunotherapy trial was a success. And I was able to go in for my bone marrow transplant with the quickest time available. Instead of having to stay under quarantine and treatment for four to five weeks in the hospital, I was out in three weeks, less than three weeks. And I was able to be home and recuperate at home. My hospital room told the story of me. I had a wall for every important aspect in my life, and one wall was devoted to our World Vision work. And the hospital staff took notice. I got to share about child sponsorship to many of the staff. The day of my discharge, the attending doctor said, with a twinkle in her eye, she had a mask on, but I knew she was smiling, I'm so happy that we were part of your regaining your health so that you could continue to help children in need in our world. So we were ready to hit the churches. As soon as I could get my strength back, be out of quarantine, and go back to where it was safe to be in public, well, then we were all quarantined, thanks to COVID-19. No in-person church. Church doors were closed. You all remember, right? But there was such a strange phenomenon that was happening during those days. And I saw many of my friends posting on social media how the devil is shutting down the churches. And I even heard pastors say that. But I was seeing something different happening. Online church was on fire. 
the gospel was exploding through the world. Satan shutting down churches is not possible. If you thought that, you missed what God was doing through that. But God, God was expanding the message of the gospel throughout the world. As he promises in his word, immeasurably more than we could imagine. We began attending Life Church online, and I grew in so many ways, I don't even have time to tell you. God was at work in my life bringing emotional healing, building faith, giving me peace, and he also was developing my skills. For the 2021 school year, I taught K through four music classes online in my district in Manchester. I mean, I learned all the platforms of how to share my screen and open tabs. I was like a DJ, like spinning that. I mean, the kids were like in a whirlwind. I mean, kindergarten, right? It was a blast. I really had a good time. I did love the all mute feature. <laughs> Unfortunately, they don't have that in live teaching, so. But I was also counting the years when I'd be closing up my teaching career. Um, we had set a three-year goal at that point. So I began praying and asking the Lord, so what's next? You know, serving through the storm, we didn't really know what to do with that, but what's next? And after some months of praying and studying the book of Nehemiah, which we heard online with Life Church by Pastor Craig Groeschel, God revealed to Stu and I that there was a great work for us to do, quoting Nehemiah, something he had for us. And learning those online skills led me to help folks find their purpose through their pain, through various life groups. Reaching people who are newly diagnosed to give help and hope in the darkest time of need. How amazing is that? So let's not forget about Joseph. He was finally released from prison, and he became second in command in all of Egypt, placed there by Pharaoh himself, where he not only saved his family, but the whole nation from famine. Don't you see? You planned evil against me, but God used those same plans for my good. I mean, just wow, just wow. So, you know, there are times when people look at me as if I have two heads when I say this. You know, ALS and cancer in our lives are a blessing. How can I say that? Lots of reasons. ALS could have taken Stu's life. We know that. We sat or we stood by the casket of a dear man who was diagnosed just two years before, who was diagnosed with ALS, and we got to minister to their family as their caregivers through a life group. And it wasn't lost to me as I was standing there in front of his coffin and his wife and two grown daughters next to him. That could have been us. God had different plans. Now, PLS, the ALS wasn't a misdiagnosis. I don't believe that because we saw the evidences of ALS. I was sitting there, no kidding, when he had this nerve conduction test, and I saw the crazy beeping and blurping in the screen when they tested his bicep and his... Um, bicep, bicep, and... Um, what is this? Deltoid shoulder. And I knew if there were up, upper limb activities, that would indicate ALS. And my heart sunk. He was healed. He was prayed over and he was healed. 
Could he have been healed completely, like the lame man who got up, walked, jumping and leaping and crazing God? I mean, I had dreams that would happen. Absolutely, God could have healed him completely. But God, God healed him just enough so that he could work in ways exceedingly above and beyond all that we could ask or imagine. I mean, we can minister to people in a much greater way because we're experiencing what they're experiencing right now. I mean, when he falls, the angels protect him. It's amazing. He baffles his doctors. He does marathons. Cancer was a blessing in our lives because it made Stu stronger. He had to take care of me. He brought me breakfast in bed, served up on his walker every day that I was in treatment. It was good, too. I miss it. You know, honey, maybe we could do that, hook that up again. My bone marrow transplant was a blessing as I saw God's provision and my family witnessed it in so many ways. He took what the enemy meant for evil, turned it for good. He allowed us to see that all the painful experiences in our lives are what he will use to serve his purpose in our lives. I recently got a new take on the verse. Romans 8.28, you know, we all quote it. All things work together for good to them that love God. I used to quote that all the time. And we as Christians throw that verse a lot. But the part of the verse that often gets omitted, or maybe just as a tagline, is the next part. According to them that are called according to his purpose. His purpose in my life, in your life, was ordained since the beginning of time. God knew all of the events, the good and bad in my life, the good and bad in your life, even stuff that we cause by our bad decisions. He knew that it would happen. And honestly, I'm really thankful that we weren't spared from those events because God in his kindness is allowing me to minister through those events. So you may remember I mentioned that land in Rhode Island by the shore. Scarborough Beach holds a real special place in my heart, and our land is a quarter mile from that. It is where I would go and plead to God one day a week for Stu's health. I can still picture myself on that blanket, crying in my towel. That first summer, I'd make that pilgrimage, listening to worship music, praise him through the storm, singing, crying, praying to God for answers, for hope and strength. And he met me there by that rock. I would sit right by that rock and watch the waves crash over it. And that was the metaphor for that firm foundation when I was in the middle of the storm with the waves crashing over me. He often brings me back to that place as a reminder for all that he has done for us in our struggles. And I'm sure that every time Joseph's brothers brought him to tears, it also reminded Joseph of those places of hurt, but God having his hand through those, those events. So those tears were bitter, but also tears of thankfulness for how God used those evil plans to bring about his purpose. And Joseph's dad, Jacob, knew about this too. So jealousy was very generational in this family. You know, jo jo Jacob and his brother Esau were always trying to one-up each other. And their parents fed into it. They were complicit. It got to a point where Jacob fled for his life after tricking Esau, who was ready to kill him 
On his way, he had a dream, and he met with the Lord. On that spot, he built an altar to the Lord, and he named it El Bethel. It was a place of fear, but also a place of promise from the Lord for safety. And then later in chapter 35, God tells Jacob to do something. Go up to where? Bethel. Settle there and build an altar to God who prepared, who appeared to you when you were fleeing from your brother Esau. That place of fear was a reminder for Jacob of his provision, bringing healing in the relationship to Esau on his return. So where is your El Bethel? For us, it's the land in Rhode Island, the land that was dedicated to the Lord and I by Stu on July 28th, 2021. We prayed over it to be holy ground where that dream that we believe God placed in our hearts to build not just a retirement home for us. Man, he had such greater plans, but above and beyond what we asked or imagined, a place of refuge for folks who are newly diagnosed to find peace and hope at that rock like I did. And who knew when we bought that land that it was a quarter mile from the most handicapped accessible beach in the Northeast. I mean, God knew. It's so crazy when I think about it. Now, this is our transition year because we're working toward building El Bethel. He has provided enough provision for us to get started, and I know that he will give in abundance. It's so exciting to see his purpose unfold in our lives. So right now, you might be in the middle of a storm, dealing with a deep pain or hurt. Perhaps you're just coming out wondering, what in the world is this all about? Could be a health crisis, a family issue, relationship, past trauma, marital situation, financial and addiction. Trust the Lord that your story is being written and yet to be told. God has not only called you, he has ordained you, and he will use these things to bring glory to him. All we need to do is ask, Lord, how can I serve you in and through this? As my church family, I'm going to lay out another, you know, sometimes you're watching a movie, you get to a good scene, and you're like, let's just hit the pause button. But the movie keeps playing. So my daughter, Mandy, that you heard Tom talk about, um, her husband is dealing with a serious health issue. Three years later after, you know, it's like we go in three-year spurts. They'll find out more information on Monday, but please pray for both of them. Pray for our family. I know God has his hand in this because we're picking up that rock, right? We're making that altar. We know. We know that we know that God is faithful. Now, I'm going to tell you there are times when I think about what the Lord is calling us to do, that into the middle of the night, my mind races, and who am I to do this? I mean, I don't have any credentials. I don't even have any, I didn't, even go, I didn't go to Bible school. I went to music school. I mean, I have no credentials here to share with you. And I'm always asking, okay, will there be enough? You know how it's funny how Satan comes to you in the middle of the night when you're like weakest and like attacks you like you don't know what you're doing. What do you think you are? He's so masterful at that. But God is kind. He's shown me glimpses of his glory in this project. And he has saints speak to me, like one of them is Dr. Ferris. I think you know Mike Ferris and Charlene. He told me, actually he wrote it to me, but I could hear his voice because I love to hear him talk. He tells such great stories too. 
he said, you don't need credentials. Because I was going to, I asked him, I said, can I get a, you know, life coach certificate? I'll, I'll pay for it. Save the money. You don't need credentials. Life has credentialed you for this. And you know, I thought about that. It's like, nobody could speak to the pain of a new diagnosis that could take your life unless you've been through it. Nobody can speak to the pain of struggling every day to get to work and, and to walk and to do all that unless you're going through it. We can speak to it because we get it. We live it. And you know who God calls? He equips. And I know that we have yet to see how God will use this ministry, serving through the storm and El Bethel. And so we seek your prayers as we step into this calling. Your movie is not over. It may have some plot twists, some cringy moments, some scary times. But in all of it, God has a purpose in your life. That pain will be your purpose. You've heard this before probably. I don't mean to sound cliche, but that mess is your message. And that test that you're going through right now, praise God, that's your testimony. I claim the verse to him who is able to provide exceedingly more abundantly than we ask or even imagine to him all glory and power forevermore. Amen.